If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 15. We are getting about halfway through the story of 1 Samuel. And at this point in the history of Israel, we're being exposed to the unraveling nature of the kingdom under Saul's reign. And as we have now gone through week after week of seeing poor decisions by Saul, seeing Samuel have to confront Saul and even grieve over him, And as we're getting closer and closer to being introduced to the person of David and even his anointing, and then soon uh, we will see that uh, he will be the king after God's own heart. It may be very tempting at this point, especially if we know the story. It may be very tempting to compare Saul and David and then look for the characteristics that revealed David as the better man, why he was that, the better king. But I think this author, the author of 2 Samuel as well, um, would want us to understand that that's the, the wrong approach. That David never displays a great moral integrity. Uh, he never displays even a better ability to rule or lead. Even, he never even displays himself as a more respectable leader. As a matter of fact, as we see Samuel having to confront Saul over and over again, there's another prophet, Prophet Nathan, that has to confront David for what seems to be even greater sin. And so what this is telling us is that as we're tempted to do that, we need to see that the Bible is interested in portraying Saul and David in in their fullness of um, being humans, fullness of humanity. But the distinction to make is that Saul is the people's choice for king. And David will be God's choice. And when God chooses someone or something, he aligns his very heart with that person or that thing. And that doesn't mean that it's smooth sailing from there on out, just as we understand that it wasn't smooth sailing for David and his reign. But it's where you will find God's heart. It's where you will find his presence, his spirit. And as we're in 1 Samuel today, we'll continue to witness this unraveling of Saul and his reign over Israel. And this unraveling is even preparing us to be introduced to David. And so I'm going to read this chapter. And I'm going to go ahead and, even before I read it, go ahead and introduce you to the world of challenges that we're about to face as we read this one chapter. And so let me go ahead and just lay this out. The Lord gives Saul a command early on. We'll read this early on in the chapter. He gives a command for Saul to kill the Amalekites. And not just the army, but to destroy all the men and women, even children and infants and their livestock. And so that's not easy to read or hear. And then as we read along, we're going to see where God says that he regrets making Saul king. And if that isn't enough, Samuel then, in this same very chapter, describes God as one who does not have regret. Then at the end of the chapter, we will see that 
Even though Saul was commanded to destroy the Amalekites, he spared the king, Agag. And so at the end of this chapter, we see Samuel seeing that Saul did not follow the commandment of the Lord. And the text actually says that he hacks Agag to pieces before the Lord. So I'm going ahead and laying it out there. So as I read this and as you read this and hear this, we're being faced with difficulties. And if you're looking for difficulties or challenges in Scripture, look no further than 1 Samuel chapter 15. We've got so much right here. But may our faith be in God's Word. And may we have faith that His voice is strong, that His voice is faithful. And may we have faith that God, His character is consistent and that we will see the God that we know here. We will see the God of the whole Bible here. So let me pray for us and then we'll read 1 Samuel 15. Father, we do ask for Your Spirit to guide us. Father, I pray that Your Spirit would give us confidence in Your Holy Word. Or that Your Spirit would speak to us, give power to the pages of Scripture as they go from the page and into our hearts. Father, reveal Yourself to us. Reveal the God of grace. Reveal a God of promise and sorrow and certainty to us through this passage. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Talam. Two thousand men on foot. 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart. Go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. 
And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the, Lord as great de- has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of, of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah. And Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This is the word of God. The Lord is relentless in protecting His people and He is relentless in protecting His promises. 
And here's why I think we need this message today as we see this long passage that has some challenges and we're faced with, with these things. Here's why we need this message, because we aren't really convinced that God keeps His promises or that He understands our sorrows or that, or that He is able to be certain about our future. We're not convinced of those things. And here, here's a way to sum, sum up this problem that we have. That we live as if we are on our own. We go through life as if we are on our own. And we need to see this God. Our God that is here in 1 Samuel, 1, 1 Samuel 15. And this God, is our, He is our God of promise. He is our God of sorrows. And He is our God of certainties. And as we approach this, it's important because early on we're exposed to this command from God to destroy all of the Amalekites. And so it's important to get an understanding of who these people are. Who were the Amalekites? And what is the history of this? In Deuteronomy 25, there's a number of different um, accounts of the Amalekites in the Old Testament. But in Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 19, it gives us a picture of of who they were and, God, and how God was against them. And Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 and 19 says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. And cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you. And he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So here's our description of Amalek and the Amalekites, is that they were a people that hated the people of God. And this is, and we even learn, so we learn some things about them in the past, and we also learn about some some things about them in the future. And so, not only do we learn that Saul spared Agag, this king, but either he spared others, or either he lied about, um, either he lied about the others. Uh, He he either spared others, or either um, by lying, or, or either they escaped. It was one or the other because it was the Amalekites that attacked David's city in 2 Samuel 8. So in the future, we see there are still these people that are after God's people. Also, if you are familiar with the story of Esther and Mordecai, it was Haman. And the text describes him as Haman the Agagite who hated the Jews. So he is a descendant from this king of Agag. He was the one who hated the Jews and plotted to completely annihilate their whole race. And so what all this is telling us as we look to the past of this, um, behind this passage, and as we look ahead of this passage, we see that these people hated God, despised the people of God. And the best way to describe them is that this, this was a satanic, demonic tribe of people. And God made it clear to Moses and to Joshua and Deuteronomy, also in Exodus, that he would blot out the memory of Amalek, the king. 
He would blot out the memory of all of the Amalekites. And then we see as we come to 1 Samuel 15 that God would appoint Saul to carry out this plan. And he made it very clear that he wanted nothing left of them. He wanted absolutely nothing to spare no one. Now, why so extreme? Why would he go to such extreme measures? And here's why. Because God had made a promise. And not simply a promise to blot out the memory of Amalek, but a promise, a covenant, that the offspring of Abraham would be as many as the stars in the heavens. And that Abraham would be the father of a multitude of nations and that this would be an everlasting covenant that would go on and on. Now the Amalekites, being ruled by the devil himself, hated Abraham, hated Israel, and hated this covenant. And because the devil himself was ruling these people, the devil himself was doing everything he could to wipe out everything or every person that would lead to Christ who is the hope of Israel, the hope of the world. And because of their hatred that is clearly portrayed throughout Scripture, and the authors of the Bible want to make it very clear that these people hated God, God called on Saul to blot them out. Now, I've heard people people refer to sections of Scripture like this, wherein God commands for for a people group to be wiped out I've heard people say that they don't recognize this God or that this is not my God of love that I know. And you may be very drawn to saying that sort of thing, but let me tell you why we should not do that today and why instead we should see this as such incredible news about our God because He is completely committed to His promises. That this is a God of promise and this reveals that He is committed to His promises to to His people. And as we read this, it's completely unfair and it's completely unhelpful to read this without understanding who the Amalekites were. And as long as they existed, they were going to try try to wipe out the line of Abraham. But God had made a promise. His covenant would lead to His only begotten Son. His Son who would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. His Son who would be born of the Virgin Mary, who would be the offspring of Abraham. And he was committed to that promise. He was going to protect his people. They were his people. And what we see here is that God gets offended. God gets offended when his people are messed with and when they're threatened. And this is great news for you and me today. Because right now, because of what we read in places like Romans 4 and Romans 9 that tell us that through faith in Christ, you and me, We become the children of what? We become the children of promise. We become the children of promise just like the children of Israel that we read about in 1 Samuel. And therefore, as we are grafted into this promise and as we become one of the multitudes of people that belong to God as His people, He promises to be our God, your God. He promises to protect us from our enemies and and His enemies. And when his enemies are against us, he gets offended. He will protect his church. And as you are looking to him, he will be seriously committed to you. And so here's what we need to do. Instead of being disturbed here, we need to see how how outraged God is. How he is truly outraged. And he gives this command to Saul with passion. 
He longs for these people to be wiped out because of what they did to his children as his children were on their way out of Egypt. This is how, as we see this passion, this is how he defends you. This is how he gets offended when we are hurt and when people are against us. This is our God. He will defend his people. He will be on your side. And we can know this as we follow Christ. And this is for us. This is for, our ch- this is for children that are in here today. You can know that your God will defend you. And I, it's, and I would be foolish if I didn't realize that my children are growing up in a different world even that I grew up in. And they will be an adult in a different world that I'm an adult in. But here's, here's my hope and here's your hope. And children, here is your hope. That our God will defend you. That He is a God of promise. And this God that we see in 1 Samuel 15 that is outraged when people are when there are groups of people that are against His children, He gets offended and He will protect you. And so we can know that God is relentless in protecting you and protecting His promise. And thus, understand this about His promises. If you love the thought of righteousness in the land, if you love the thought of being raised from the dead, of having a new place to live, the thought of Christ redeeming you in the world, the thought of revealing Himself as Lord, making all things right, and making the whole world recognize Him as King and exalted, conquering all His enemies, then you can put your trust in God now. Because He is bringing that about. And just as Israel at this point is thinking that this is coming slower than they would want it to to happen, or it's happening in different ways than they think it should happen, it's still an invitation to trust in a God of promise. That you can, in fact, trust this God. He's committed to our defense. He is committed to our promises. This is our God of promise. He will never fail in keeping His promises. He's also a God of sorrow. Because what happens when God appoints Saul to accomplish what He promised to Joshua and Moses regarding Amalek? Saul doesn't do it. Verse 10 tells us that in response to Saul's neglect, and in response to Saul using his own wisdom instead of the wisdom of the Lord, the Lord said in verse 10 of chapter 15, He says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me, and he has not performed my commandments. In other words, the Lord is seeing that Saul is not protecting his people. He is not protecting His people at this point in time, and He's also not protecting His people in the future. And then at the end of this chapter in verse 35, as Samuel is grieving, the text tells us again that the Lord regretted that He had made Saul king over Israel as if to affirm it one more time. Now this is the same phrase. This is the same difficult phrase that's used in Genesis chapter 6. When God looks down, sees the wickedness of mankind that is spread over the earth, and He said that he, had, that he regretted that He had made man. Coming out of the mouth of God, 
He regrets that he had made man. I think we get some insight into this as we look at verse 22 of this chapter when Samuel makes it clear that God loves obedience more or better than sacrifice. And so what we're seeing is that Saul is using his own wisdom and he is pitching this, he is selling this, uh, he is selling what he has done here to Samuel as religion. But God is not interested and God is not impressed with Saul's sacrifice here because it is mixed with disobedience. And so what does this mean? What does it mean that God regretted that he had made Saul king? Or what does it mean that God even says he regretted making man in Genesis 6? This tells us that our God of promise, this all-knowing God, this God that sees all that's going on here, he is looking at his people and he is seeing the leader of his people, Saul, he is seeing that he does not care for them. He doesn't care for their future. And it causes God pain. It causes God distress. He hurts. He mourns. And what we see, this is not a God who is changing his mind. This is a God that is full of sorrow. I want you to consider for a moment Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. When he's there and he's weeping because his friend had died. He's sharing tears with Mary and Martha. And this is happening. As tears are coming down our Lord's face, this is happening, happening as he knows he is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so, is Jesus fake crying? Is he causing himself to cry to make the whole resurrection event of Lazarus more dramatic? I think we could all agree that that is not the case at all. That this is true mourning by our Lord. That He is truly in despair because of the suffering that His friend had to go through and the fact that His body at that moment lay in a tomb. But Jesus wasn't crying. He wasn't mourning. So understand, get this, He wasn't mourning because He was late. He wasn't crying and there weren't tears streaming down His face because He regretted His decision to not be on time. He wasn't sorrowful because he messed up or because he made a mistake. He was sorrowful because Lazarus had to die and because his friend Mary, his friends Mary and Martha were suffering because of the death of their brother. Now as we look back at 1 Samuel 15, we must understand that God is seeing that his people are in the hands of a selfish king. And that their enemies are still existing and still surrounding them. And he's sorrowful because of it. And it hurts the Lord. Not because he has made a mistake. Not because his plan is messed up. Not because he now has to shift from plan A to plan B. But because his people will continue to walk a difficult path. They will continue to suffer. And he sees that Saul... Just like Esau years ago is not interested in the covenant. The covenant that God has made with His people. Now what does this mean that our God is a God of sorrow? Because that's what this text is telling us. That this is a God of sorrow. That this is a God that is experiencing sadness. 
I remember walking out at my brother Russ's funeral and seeing many crying eyes as I walked out into the sanctuary. As a matter of fact, I didn't remember uh, seeing anyone that that didn't have tears. And that was exactly what I needed to see. That I wasn't the only one with tears. I knew that at that moment I could tell that I didn't need to be the only one crying while everyone else there would have dry eyes. Instead, I was comforted that people were mourning along with me. Now, I know that many of you have experienced real times and real seasons of mourning. And when that's going on, you know that that is not the time when you need the rock of the family or the, or the stable friend that doesn't have emotion to come up to you and pat you on the back and tell you that everything is going to be okay or tell you that you will come out on top. No, what you need in that moment is you need someone to enter into that struggle with you, that is hurting with you. You want to be surrounded with people, not with dry eyes, but people that can mourn with you, that, that hurt with you. And here's what we can know about our God. He is not just a piece of unmovable granite up in the sky that sits above the heavens with no expression, that lacks emotion, that He just watches us go through the trials of life. He is a God of sorrow, and as we hurt, He hurts. As we are persecuted, He is persecuted. And He is here, and He takes on the brokenness of this world. And so as He looks down and He sees Saul, and, he said, and it says that he regrets that he made Saul king. He's experiencing sorrow there. Any pain that you feel, this is telling us that it pierces him. And that he never runs from that. And this means something to me, and I hope it will mean something to you. Because the next time, or if, you're, if this is what you're dealing with right now, But if the next time that you're hurting, or you're depressed, or you're fearful, or you've been sinned against, know that God isn't looking down, tapping His foot with a sharp stare, waiting for you to discover the right kind of theology and to say, okay, my God is sovereign, I'm going to step out of this state, and I'm going to be strong. Know that He is broken with you, and He's in despair with you. You're never alone there. You're never alone in depression. You're never alone in fear and in pain. Here's what's also great about that. This does not mean that He is any less of a God of promise or any less of our rock. In fact, He is more so because this shows that our rock, our God of promise, enters into our world of suffering and pain. And He proved that perfectly by going to the cross. And so as we see that God regretted making Saul king, we see that our God of promise is also a God of sorrow. And we also see that He is our God of certainty. Because when we have regret or sorrow... Be honest with yourself. When we struggle here, we lack certainty. Nothing makes us more uncertain than sadness. But that is not the case with the Lord. And Samuel makes that clear because while he said, 
while he said that he regretted making Saul king, and just as we may think we are beginning to understand that, Samuel then goes on and says in verse 29 that the glory of Israel, meaning God Himself, will not lie or have regret. For He is not a man that He should have regret. So which is it? Does He regret or does He not regret? If you really want to be a disciple of Christ, if you really truly long for His garment, His touch, then you must do this. You must see that He has so much more to offer than you could ever offer to someone else. He has so much more to offer than someone could ever offer to you because while He is our God of promise, who will do whatever it takes to protect His covenant people, and while He is a God that suffers and hurts with us, Know that He is not like you and me, because while all that is going on, He is certain of all that He has done. He is certain of all that He is doing. While we question things that we have done, He never questions things that He has done, and He is absolutely certain of what is to come. Absolutely certain of what He will do. So this is telling us that He regrets making Saul king, and yet He has... Absolutely no regret. In other words, Saul has not blotted out the memory of Amalek, which means that Satan will still plan to use them to destroy, to plan to destroy God's people. Satan will still use these people to destroy the line of Christ in a hope of a Savior. People will still be hurt by them. God looks upon this, and He's sorrowful. Yet, His certain plan of redemption does not waver. Christ will still be born. Christ will still die for our sins. There is great sorrow here with this picture of God. But He made a promise, and He will not be moved. So please understand, people will fail you. You will fail yourself. You will experience, and maybe you are experiencing right now, things that seem so far outside of God's plan that there's no way that He could ever be involved in what's going on in your life. But this passage is telling us that that He has made a promise. And He is absolutely certain of what He is doing and what He will do. And there is never a clearer picture of this than when the promise won. Our Lord Jesus Christ came and experienced the sorrow of all sorrows. Consider the weight of your sorrows. Consider every sorrow that you've ever experienced. And then, and though this is really impossible, consider that Jesus experienced every ounce of despair that has ever existed, that has ever been, and ever will be. And it all came down upon Him. And he did this because he made a promise. And he was certain that this was the way. And he did this for you. Samuel says, to obey is better than sacrifice. And this is a real and a true call to obedience, even for us. This is telling us that obedience to God is more important than even our worship here today. But the reason that sacrifice is belittled here is because as we sacrifice or as we worship or as we serve the Lord, it is always mixed with disobedience. 
We're always mixing it in with our sin. But when we come to God in Christ, what the Gospel tells us is that we come with the perfect sacrifice that is not belittled because the one who was perfectly obedient and was offered up, He was the pure sacrifice. He came perfectly pure. And then He was perfectly sacrificed for us. This is our God. The God of promise, the God of sorrow, and the God of certainty all comes together in perfect harmony in the, per- in the person of Jesus. And this is our God. This is what 1 Samuel 15 is pointing us to. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You choose to enter into our world. That You have promised that You will not forsake us. You have promised that You'll be involved. Father, we even see here that You are a God that enters into our emotions, that hurts when we hurt, and at the same time, you're our rock. You never waver. Lord, thank You for Your faithfulness. Thank You for granting us the gift of Your Son. That as we look to Him and as we see Him presented to us in the Gospel, we can know that the promise has been fulfilled. That as the war has been waged against Your people, that the Son, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, has crushed the head of the serpent hacking Him into pieces. Lord, thank You for Your faithfulness. Thank You that that is a certain victory for Your people. We pray all this in the strong, mighty name of Christ.